Yo, when you said critical thought, Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5M trying to wash your mind And you know they lying Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5M trying to wash your mind And you know they lying Greetings and welcome to the Critical Thought Podcast Where I give you my unsolicited narrative on the mainstream media And try to read between the lines Warning if you have an enlarged amygdala, proceed with caution. There's talk about this guy being an op. Um, um, Kennedy Jr., that is. That's ridiculous. That's impossible. And um, the, he's a, a CIA plant. You know, my mind is open to, to this. Greetings and welcome to episode two of the Critical Thought Podcast. Now, I'm sure that we all know how much Big Pharma wants to help us and how they have our best interests at heart and they would never put anything out on the market that would intentionally cause harm or adverse side effects. The FDA has approved a medication to protect babies and toddlers from the potentially dangerous RSV virus, which of course hit Americans hard last fall. Potentially dangerous. The makers of Bayfortis say it can prevent RSV in children up to two years of age for an entire season. Each year, more than two million children younger than five contract RSV. Up to 80,000 of those children are then hospitalized and as many as 300 die of the illness. CBS News medical contributor, Dr. So, two million children under five get RSV. 80,000 are hospitalized and 300 die. Those are important numbers to keep in mind because those are the numbers that are going to tell us whether we really need another vaccine on the market, especially that's going to be administered to children that are potentially very young. Dr. Celine Gounder is an infectious disease expert and the editor-at-large for public health at KFF, and she joins us now. Dr. Gounder, thank you very much for being here. Um, so how does this medication work, uh, and how effective is it? Bayfortis is a shot, but it's not a vaccine. It's what we call a monoclonal antibody. People may be familiar with that from COVID, where we had monoclonal antibodies that we used for treatment. In this case, it's being given for prevention. And in clinical trials, reduce the risk of hospitalization among these very young infants by over 80%. So when she's a very young infant, just how young are we talking? Do you have to do something special to get it, or will it be recommended or brought up by your doctor at a regular checkup? Well, the CDC's ACIP, which is the uh, group that makes recommendations about the use of vaccines, they have yet to make those recommendations. But I think you will see those rolling out fairly soon. That will likely be in conjunction with what we predict will be the approval of an RSV vaccine for the protection of infants actually administered to pregnant women. We can get into that in a little bit later. Um, Hold on. So is she saying that somebody that rolls out the guidelines is going to roll them out in accordance with the approval for RSV vaccine? So this thing hasn't been approved yet and they're already at market with it. Um, let me just listen. Let me just see what she really said right there. To make those recommendations. But I think you will.
will see those rolling out fairly soon. That will likely be in conjunction with what we predict will be the approval of an RSV vaccine for the protection of infants actually administered to pregnant women. All right. We'll get into that in a little bit later. Um, but I think likely the Abrisbo vaccine will be first line with the Bay Fortis being given, say, to high-risk infants whose moms just didn't get a chance to be vaccinated. So what are the parallels between the two, the one that's given to infants and the one that uh, might be coming out for women that are pregnant? Right. So uh, a Brisbo is an RSV vaccine for pregnant women. You'd be giving it second or third trimester. The idea is that mom makes the antibodies and she gives her baby antibodies through the placenta. And this is actually how women protect their babies against a whole host of things. For the first six months or so of a baby's life, it's mom's antibodies that are protecting them. All right, so for the first six months, it's the mother's antibodies that are protecting the baby. All right, this sounds about right. So many viruses out there. I'm sure folks out in TV land are confused by, you know, what and might... They're scared. And, and they're scared, but, but what should... Why is she laughing when she said people are confused? Yeah, I mean, what was she laughing about? And then props to her the the news anchor tried to lead her down the fear pouring path and and try to like the other anchor should say try to lead her down the fear pouring path and try to get her to s remind her how scared people are as well but make we listen that from the top so many viruses out there I, i'm sure folks out in tv land are confused by you know what it's might what, scared it's and, and they're scared but but what should people be looking out for and in particular who is at most risk so rsv um the season is usually fall to spring um there are certain groups that are at highest risk so infants under the age of two but really the very youngest of infants um in the first couple months of life they have weaker immune systems they have smaller airways they're more likely to get in trouble with these kinds of infections all right so she said before that the first six months of life is the mother's anti antibodies that are helping the baby i know she's saying that the very few first weeks of life their immune systems are the weakest and this is when they need to get this vaccine am i hearing that correct or am i misunderstanding so rsv um the season is usually fall to spring um there are certain groups that are at highest risk so infants under the age of two but really the very youngest of infants um in the first couple months of life they have weaker immune systems they have smaller airways they're more likely to get in trouble with these kinds of infections and then pregnant women themselves are at higher risk and the elderly so people over the age of 60. so should should folks keep their children at bay from you know large crowds or even grandparents but hold on if pregnant women are at risk then why do you need to give a pregnant woman the vaccine for rsv if she's then going to contract rsv naturally and create antibodies that her baby can get in the womb i don't see the point in giving a pregnant woman this vaccine but i'm not a doctor so again i'm ignorant so infants under the age of two, but really the very youngest of infants um, in the first couple months of life, they have weaker immune systems, they have smaller airways, they're more likely to get in trouble with these kinds of infections. And then pregnant women themselves are at higher risk right. and the elderly, so people over the age of 60. So should, should folks keep their children at bay from, you know, I think it's common sense. You know, you go about living your life, but you take appropriate measures. You wash your hands. If you're sick, you stay home from work or school. You know, just the common sense things we all know work. All right. Well, 
common sense in the face of RSV. Maybe don't take a vaccine for RSV. Or do some research before you take a, you give your baby a vaccine. You know what I mean? Uh, so let's switch gears a little bit and take it to... Um, let's talk about the CIA. I just recently found out that the CIA has a podcast. And you'd be surprised, or maybe not... To hear what these guys are talking about on the CIA podcast. I think it's called CIA Langley Files Podcast. A lot of people assume that we're just like Hollywood and we've got somebody in a chair all day long applying things and makeup and spraying and all of this and gluing. But really, I mean, we are there to <laughs> train officers to be able to uh, independently disguise themselves because they're... They're working quickly. They're walking down the street. They're turning a corner. Um, you know, we train them on how to take their pants off in public without anyone even noticing <laughs> and then changing into something else. And, wow. Yeah, take so their pants off in public. Wait, wait. That's how the CIA spend them time and resources training them agents how to take off them pants in, in public and why this brother so excited about all of this hold on pull up hold on corner um you know we train them on how to take their pants off in public without anyone even noticing and then changing into something else and wow yeah it's so. like superman in the telephone booth that's yes. what i'm envisioning right now yeah. plus 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 yeah. plus plus yes yeah. people don't plus see plus plus yes so I mean, for us, that's to our advantage, yeah. the phone usage today, right? Like, people are looking at their phones constantly, and so that has helped our... It's yeah. like, okay, they're distracted, so you can get away with pretty much anything you want. Yeah, something about today. Do you remember every single person you walked by today? No, I mean... But you know what? Like, she make a, she make a serious point there still in how the, these organizations really do, like, pull the psyop over your eyes and do the covert ops in broad daylight in the middle of plain sight, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, people are really distracted and I, I do, I would tend to believe that the CIA is paying attention to distraction of people and propaganda and all kind of other things can get run by people pretty easily because they're just not focused on important things. And so that has helped our, it's yeah. like, okay, they're distracted, so you can get away with pretty much anything you want. Yeah, so think about today, do you remember every single person you walked by today? No, I was thinking about this interview, I was excited. <laughs> exactly, so, yeah. everyone's <laughs> distracted. Exactly, like everyone is the most important thing in their own universe, and so we take advantage of that, and we also teach our officers to remember that mindset, because it's very uh, counterintuitive. Especially if you're going to start taking your pants off in a crowd. <laughs> Man, they've gone back to the pants off again. Today is tougher than ever for disguise based on the amount of tech that's around, but it's also in some ways paradoxically better than ever because people are distracted, fixated on their yeah. phones. I think um, it's kind of better than ever and also we've never... What are the ads you want them to talk about pants off one more time? Because of the rise of technology. Okay, they didn't. All right, so yeah, just a quick little um, delve into the CIA has a podcast and they are just chatting about how they train their agents and their apps so yeah interesting one so bobby kennedy jr is running for president on the democratic side of things um 
and he's getting some some notoriety so much so that they're banning his um his interviews on podcasts on um social media platforms like youtube for instance are removing a lot of his um his interviews and they've been doing this just since he started to become more popular in the democratic race what that means i don't care what i really found interesting is that there's talk about this guy being an app um um kennedy jr that is and um he's a, a cia plant right so we just got done talking about the cia um what what are the chances of this guy being a cia plant you know like the fact that the cia probably came to him and said listen you want to know how your uncle died you want to know how your father died we'll tell you how these how what happened we'll give you the the lowdown we'll give you the details and um we'll put you in a position to become the most powerful person in the united states quote unquote but you're gonna have to talk about our speaking points and you know who knows but this guy's been saying some interesting things nonetheless and um let's just hear what he has to say about the potential of climate change or not climate change rather climate engineering we have for example after 9-11 we had general wesley clark stating on the record that the middle eastern countries that were to be targeted a list that we believe existed before 9-11 even occurred but my point is this that those Middle Eastern countries, every single one, subsequently underwent the once-in-1,000-year drought. That's mathematically, statistically impossible. So, if you don't know what the West Clark 7 is, the West Clark 7 was, um, I believe, General West Clark, I believe he was a general, was in charge of um, military affairs and basically said that there were a list of seven countries that the United States had on their radar that they wanted to get rid of and remove them because they posed a threat to the petrodollar and other threats but mostly to the to the petrodollar all these countries were they didn't have a central bank and they were trying to make gold their standard um so that's a little bit of what the west clark seven is we have for example after 9-11 we had general wesley clark stating on the record that the Middle Eastern countries that were to be targeted, a list that we believe existed before 9-11 even occurred. But my point is this, that those Middle Eastern countries, every single one, subsequently underwent a once-in-1,000-year drought. That's mathematically, statistically impossible to have that kind of coincidence unless there was something else in the equation. That's something else we would argue is climate engineering. And to back that up, we have leaders of some of those countries, in the case of Iran, on the floor of the United Nations, stating emphatically that NATO was cutting off their precipitation, destabilizing food production, thus destabilizing populations. We know that Iran's a target of NATO. It has been for a very long time. You know, my mind is open to, to this. Is because Woody Harrelson one time was at my house and he was talking about this. This was probably 10 years ago. And I was saying, come on, that's just, that's ridiculous. That's impossible. And he said, come outside with me. And we went outside and we... Just like nobody's trying to get us to eat bugs. It's impossible. Come on. Conspiracy theory. Sat on a hillside and we watched these planes fly in a grid pattern laying out this... Uh, you know, a grid of, of contrails, and then it turned into clouds, and we had a cloudy day. And I don't know. So he's talking about chemtrails without saying chemtrails. 
he said contrails, but I'm pretty sure he meant to say chemtrails. Or maybe he meant to say contrails, but what he's describing are quote-unquote chemtrails. Oh, you know, I've looked up many times since then and seen that happening. And I don't have a good explanation for it, but, you know, the things that you're saying um, are, uh, are consistent are internally consistent and they're consistent with things that I've observed. Uh, it's amazing to think that they can keep it that secret that well for this long, but, you know, I've seen them do that with other things as well. The thing that, to me, that is really um, kind of, you know, I, well, I'm not going to say dispositive, but really hard to explain is that I've seen all of this data, you know, uh, that, uh, that the, about the aluminum concentrations yeah so that was another thing too like back in the day when i was looking into chemtrails aluminum and barium were two of the most consistent heavy metals that were found in these um spray that they were letting out of the, the back of these planes dramatically increasing in national forest lands and other places that are completely remote from any smelter and as you say aluminum unlike mercury precipitates out of the atmosphere within a uh, you know 100 200 miles from a smelter well if you're on the west coast and the nearest smelter is in you know upwind smelter is in japan or china the aluminum there's no explanation for all that aluminum those aluminum concentrations in national forests on the west coast it doesn't make any sense they don't make a whole lot of sense he chose his words very carefully. He never want to get himself in too much water, hot water. Everybody already classify him as a conspiracy theorist. And yeah, he's just, he's towing that line. You know, he's given, he's living up to the narrative, so to speak. Um, again, I don't know what the positioning is. I, I know that no politician can be trusted and both sides play the same game. The person that meets the agenda of the the ruling hidden power or hidden hand at the time that's the person that's going to get selected to be the president so we'll see so as it relates to um bobby kennedy jr and um the cia in particular why is biden i don't know if this has anything to do with anything i don't think the democratic party really necessarily wants biden to to even run again like, I, I don't think so. If he tries to run or if he gets put up to run, something might happen to him. But anyways, the question is, why is he, what does he stand to gain from releasing documents pertaining to, uh, is it RFK? RFK or JFK? What, what, what does he stand to gain? Because apparently he's released some documents that were, re, were previously classified about the, JFK assassination. This morning, a recent decision by President Biden concerning documents related to the JFK assassination is raising new questions about what the government knew and when. The president, late last month, issued a final order certifying documents from the JFK investigation to be released. But the New York Times reports 4,684 of the files remain either partially or fully withheld from the public's eye. On June 30th, President Biden washed his hands of the JFK matter and said that this would be his last order 
about JFK. Jefferson Morley is editor of the blog JFK Facts. He says some of the files being withheld could shed light on the CIA's investigation before JFK's it was the CIA death. Again. What remains is about 4,400 documents from a variety of federal agencies, primarily the CIA, that still contain some redactions, ranging from a word to a paragraph to a page to the whole document. Yeah, I mean, the, the rest of this is not necessarily not necessarily important still. Like, I I just wanted to know, like, why now and, like, with RFK Jr. getting so much publicity, now Biden is releasing documents that relates to his um his uncle's death. I don't know. Might be nothing at all. Just pure speculation and me jumping down a rabbit hole. Last week's news cycle had climate change being blamed for everything from excessive turbulence to the potential thawing of ancient microbacteria. And the fear-mongering don't seem to be slowing down at all. So let's just see how they can sensationalize climate change in this week's news cycle. I was struck that you write um, that the human body, uh, your insides melt and disintegrate, which is, you know, focuses the mind. We cover hurricanes for days, um, tornadoes, that kind of, those kinds of weather events. Do we need to start thinking about heat in that same way? Uh what do you think his answer is going to be? This guy that gets paid to promote climate change propaganda do you think we need to promote heat in the same way that we promote storms and that type of stuff absolutely absolutely um, but, you know one of the difficulties with thinking about heat and preparing for heat is that it's invisible right we all know uh, when a storm is is coming um, so we're not invisible we see pictures to of houses you know roofs being blown off houses and trees being bent in half and it's very easy to visualize the threat of a storm or of floods even drought you can kind of visualize the problem with heat is that it's invisible and so it's very hard to communicate about that um, we're seeing more and more attempts at ranking heat waves naming heat waves figuring out yeah let's let's find a way to make heat waves a little bit more palatable and more entertaining and engaging let's rank them and let's name them ways to communicate to people the threat that heat poses in these kinds of extreme conditions among the proposals to deal with extreme heat is some i was talking with the chief heat advisor of phoenix and he wants hold on hold on there's a job called a chief heat advisor somebody gets assigned this title what what does a chief heat advisor do? Pray tell. Some I was talking with the chief heat advisor of Phoenix, and he wants hot, extremely hot days to be considered natural disasters and national emergencies and have FEMA funding kick in on that. Um, the chief of whatever he is wants to fund FEMA and make some more money for FEMA by declaring hot days, natural disasters. I wonder if this guy get paid by FEMA. It would mean a lot more money for FEMA if, if we could fund FEMA that way. Do you think that's something that's coming and that should be a role for FEMA? You know, I, I don't think so. Um, but I will tell you one of the things that we can do to uh, cool the earth back down. Thank you, Senator Duckworth, for being 
sensible. I don't know what side of the, the aisle you stand on, but thank you for not agreeing that we need to fund FEMA and call hot days or classify hot days as national disasters. So this is what the conversation sounded like in the control room after that story flopped. Okay, 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 Bill. They didn't, they didn't bite on um, turning really hot days into national emergencies. So let's let's dial up the fear meter a bit and um, let's let's remind them of how deadly the pandemic was and compare the heat to the pandemic. Do something. Seventy-five million Americans are under heat alerts again today. Phoenix, Phoenix is expecting its twentieth consecutive day with temperatures topping one hundred and ten degrees. That's a record. One ER doctor says his hospital is seeing a pandemic level number of patients due to the heat. Yo, them know for scare people, you know, or attempt to anyways. Cause the people that really listen to these these new bro- news broadcasts day in and day out, like the people that live on the news. Yo, I can see how some people think that the world is falling apart and coming to an end and we need a whole lot of restrictions and changes in order to save the planet. No. I mean, if the pandemic level of patience wasn't enough, now we have to worry about heat domes. Nearly 900 wildfires are now burning all across Canada. British Columbia has lost a record amount of land to the flames, and there are still months to go in fire season. Historically dry and hot conditions are also plaguing parts of Europe, caused by these so-called heat domes that you see. Large areas of high-pressure signs of a changing climate. Meanwhile, over in China, as far as climate change is concerned, the Hegelian dialectic is in full effect. Problem, reaction, solution. So the Chinese wanted to pass a law that would give them the ability to fire up some more coal factories, and um, this is how they did it. In China, a series of unrelenting heat waves has created a soaring demand for electricity, leading to unprecedented amounts of coal consumption at China's more than 1,000 coal-fired power plants. This comes after the Chinese government approved a record-breaking 86 gigawatts of new coal-fired power capacity last year. And now we'll close out the climate section here. I do believe this is the last clip. Um... No, there might be one more, but um, we'll head into the last two clips on the, in the climate section with a report from the EU and the US uh, with regards to their um, raging heat and a very odd request by the US at the end of this report. Europe is still sweltering. On Tuesday, Rome reached 107 degrees Fahrenheit or nearly 42 degrees Celsius, while other Italian cities also shattered all-time temperature records. Some hospitals reported their highest number of daily admissions since... You know, it's funny how the reporting changed. You know what I mean? 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 42 degrees, they would have said, yo, it's a perfect day to go to the beach. You know what I mean? Go to the pool. Do something by the water. Nowadays, it's a travesty compare the heat to the pandemic do something since the worst days of the covid 19 pandemic in greece the european union sending water bombers and hundreds of firefighters and soldiers to battle wildfires that erupted around athens more wildfires are burning in spain turkey and switzerland 
here in the United States. More than 58 million people are enduring triple-digit temperatures this week, with forecasters warning a massive heat dome will remain fixed in southwest. There goes that heat dome again. It's a new thing, you know. We're, we're going to find out what this heat dome is all about, though. We're going to dig into it. Switzerland. Here in the United States, more than 58 million people are enduring triple-digit temperatures this week, with forecasters warning a massive heat dome will remain fixed in southwestern and southern states. In Louisiana, the ACLU filed an emergency plea with a federal court this week asking for the transfer of children incarcerated at the notorious Angola prison. Advocates say that... So they're asking for the transfer of children... And somehow they're going to link this and relate this to heat and climate change. What what, what do they want with these children? Uh, why 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 we want to bring these children? Transfer them to where? Let's you know. Let me just back it up and listen. In Louisiana, the ACLU filed an emergency plea with a federal court this week asking for the transfer of children incarcerated at the notorious Angola prison. Advocates say the child prisoners, who are mostly black, were locked in windowless cells without air conditioning around the clock in the prison's former death row as the heat index inside Angola topped 130 degrees Fahrenheit. All right, so two things. First, let me just touch the heat index. The heat index is not a real thing. The heat index is a perceived um, feeling. It's how what it feels like. It's not what it actually is. So don't let them get into your head with a perceived temperature of 130 on the heat index. Secondly, with all the child trafficking going on and recent light being shed it's been going on for a while but with the, the movie it's probably forefront in everybody's mind now what what does the aclu want with these children and transfer them to where they haven't really made that very clear either and how does that story even tie into heat like why would they bring that in the same news report and let me just end the segment with a call back here so we're going to play a report on the limits that the human body can um, take as far as heat is concerned, but more specifically the heat index these people are talking about again. And then we'll do a call back to the segment, to the clip that was started the segment with and we tie it together. In Iran, a combination of heat and humidity this week pushed the heat index at the Persian Gulf International Airport to 152 degrees Fahrenheit, with a dew point over 90%. That's close to the limit of what the human body can survive. I was struck that you write um, that the human body, uh, your insides melt and disintegrate, which is, you know, focuses the mind. We cover hurricanes for days um tornadoes that kind of those kinds of weather events do we need to start thinking about heat in that same way uh and prepare for it uh, as much as we do those kinds of events absolutely um and that's the programming people that's the messaging that's the propaganda that's the programming from the m5m as it pertains to climate change i don't know you be the judge still you tell me what you think I want to switch over quick time from the climate change agenda and I want to talk about Ukraine. 
and um, see if we can get a better visual and perception of what is actually happening in Ukraine and what this war might be about. I don't claim to know, but from my understanding, Biden has always been adamant that the U.S. military will not intervene in the war between Russia and the Ukraine. But it seems as if it's okay for the CIA to do it. A recent cover story of Newsweek revealed the CIA shuttling weapons into Ukraine using a, quote, gray fleet of commercial aircraft that crisscrosses Central and Eastern Europe. CIA personnel are also going into Ukraine on secret missions. According to one source, CIA agents are assisting Ukrainians with new weapons and systems. One senior military intelligence official told Newsweek, quote, the CIA has been operating inside Ukraine under strict rules and with a cap on how many personnel can be in the country at any one time, end quote. The CIA is also using Poland as its clandestine hub to coordinate its operations inside Ukraine. After the September 11th attacks, the CIA also used Poland to house one of its secret black sites where prisoners were tortured. I just thought that was an interesting um, snippet of a news report there. And to muddy the water even further, now we're going to learn that legally Russia and the Ukraine are not even at war. Russia has called this a terrorist act. The reason why is that Russia uh, is not at war with Ukraine, and Ukraine has not declared war against Russia. People need to understand that. There's fighting going on, but um, from, a, from a legal structural standpoint, Russia is not at war with Ukraine. So what exactly is going on? And so from the Russian perspective, this bridge, which connects Krasnodar region of Russia, which is a peaceful region, no martial law declared, part of, uh, of Russia with Crimea, um, is a civilian structure. And it was struck. Uh, two civilians died, and uh, they call this a terrorist act. From the Ukrainian perspective, it's a legitimate military target. Uh, what's of significance here is that the Ukrainians, by uh, attacking this bridge, may have uh, pushed Russia uh, to a point where it reconsiders its uh, its approach. As bad as things look in Ukraine towards the Ukrainian government, the Ukrainian people, people need to understand this. Russia is not treating and has not treated Ukraine as a nation that it's at war yet, meaning that there's a lot of things that are allowed to continue to happen in Ukraine that would not happen if Russia was at war with Ukraine. So Russia is not officially at war with the Ukraine, but the United States is sending, and the EU to a lesser degree, sending a lot of money and artillery to the Ukraine as if the Ukraine was actually at war with Russia. Now, I'm not a political pundit and I, I'm not a policy major. I don't really know what's going on. I'm just listening to the news and trying to dissect it. So if Russia is not at war with Ukraine, what is the Ukraine doing with all the money and the armament that it's receiving? Is this actually going to be used by Ukraine at some point in time? Are they building a stockpile? Or is this money and armament going to be shipped off to Africa per se. Here's another clip from Claire Daly, who is um, a member of the EU Parliament, a representative from Ireland, I believe. And she's uh, talking about how money is being funneled from the EU into pretty much the coffers of the, the arms industry. Thanks very much, President. So here we are 
and the courts must be popping in the arms industry boardrooms all over Europe. A plan rushed through behind closed doors, no public consultation, no public debate, presented as a fait accompli just waiting for our rubber stamp. A unilateral declaration by an unelected commissioner that Europe is now a war economy. Not a war on poverty or homelessness or on climate change, but a diktat to the public of Europe that they have to accept another one billion euros being laundered from their pockets into the fat wallets of the global arms industry. The workers in those factories have to suck up the suspension of the Working Time Act, and if they don't, they'll be brandished as traitors or Kremlin agents. And if that wasn't bad enough, it won't be just our arms industries, because our friends in the US and Israel can dip into the pot, flog off bits to their European counterparts, they'll do the final assembly, put a stamp and a premium on it, and it's champagne all round. And why wouldn't it be? At three to four thousand euro per shell, and we're expected, the workers of Europe are expected to pay for a million of them. It's three to four thousand euros per shell. And the taxpayers are supposed to pay for a million of them. And we just heard that these two countries aren't legally at war. This sounds like money laundering. Absolutely outrageous. If you really cared about Ukraine, you'd be pushing for peace. But the EU hasn't lifted a finger to push for peace in Ukraine. In fact, it's done everything to escalate the conflict and prevent peace. Because for the EU, it's all about the war profiteers. And the catastrophe in Ukraine is nothing more than a global opportunity for your friends. It's an absolute disgrace. It's about time you started to work for peace. Now, you know, we couldn't end the podcast and not, men, not venture into the mental gymnastics section. Here we'll get a little bit of a history on uh, the transgender movement and kind of where it came from and what the underlying means to the ends is. In order to understand what's happening with the trans movement, we have to begin with a short history lesson. In the late 1980s, a group of writers, including Judith Butler, Gail Rubin, Sandy Stone, and Susan Stryker, established the disciplines of... I need to take note of those names and just go Google them and see what these women were all about and you'll have a good idea of what the trans movement is founded upon. Queer theory and transgender studies. They argued that gender was a social construct used to oppress racial and sexual minorities. Mm -hmm. They denounced the categories of man and woman as a false binary that upholds a system of heteronormativity, the white male heterosexual power structure. These writers made the case that these systems must be ruthlessly deconstructed and turned to dust. And the most visceral, dramatic way to achieve this is transgenderism. If a man can become woman, if a woman can become man, they believed, the entire structure of creation could be toppled. So... Why are they attacking the structure of creation, first and foremost? That's the first question. Creation is okay as it is. And then secondly, if you want to say that um, gender is a construct of the patriarchal system, all right, I, I, I mean, I guess you can make that argument. It's a stupid argument, but I suppose you could make the argument. But what does that have to do with transitioning kids? 
and forcing transition and rushing to transition children in the earliest stages of their lives, you know, giving them puberty blockers and all these type of things. Maybe a big part of it could be the millions of dollars that has to be spent on a transitioning, transitioning child throughout their life. It's millions of dollars. So big pharma and private institutions and there's money to be made. Let's just put it that way. A trans movement manifesto is intended as a secular sermon that unabashedly advocates embracing a disruptive and refigurative gender queer or transgender power as a spiritual resource. This is Susan Stryker, one of the founding theorists of the trans movement. In her best known essay on performing transgender rage, Stryker argues that the transsexual body is a technological construction that represents a war against Western society. I it is a technological construction. The transgender body is a technological construction. Now you start to get a purview into the minds of these people. These are technocrats. These people care nothing about humanity. That is obvious. The transsexual body is a technological construction that represents a war against Western society. I am a transsexual and therefore I am a monster, Stryker writes. And this body, Stryker says, is destined to channel its rage and revenge against the naturalized heterosexual order, against traditional family values, and against the hegemonic oppression of nature itself. There's the hegemonic oppression of nature itself. So all things natural, all things of nature, that's what the trans movement is against and nobody can argue differently because these are this these words are coming from one of the founders of the movement something important to understand here the transgender movement is inherently political using the construction of personal identity to advance a collective political vision. Some trans activists even believe their movement represents the future of Marxism. And that's another interesting tidbit. Uh, a lot of these um, transgender people that are people that support the movement, whether intentionally or unintentionally, they support Marxism and, and Leninism and socialism. You know what I mean? And I don't know if most of the people that support transgender movements are aware of the roots of the transgender movement and just another thing you know what i mean like these people go after people that are this kids that are displaced kids that are confused going through puberty and probably not from the strongest of households and the government is trying more and more to weaken the parents grip on their children so that they can have access to kids in a collection of essays titled Transgender Marxism, Rosa Lee argues that trans people can serve as the new vanguard of the proletariat, promising to abolish heteronormativity in the same way that Orthodox Marxism promised to abolish capitalism. Lee writes, in a different era, Marxists spoke of the construction of a new socialist man as a crucial task in the broader process of socialist construction. Today, in a time of both rising fascism and an emergent socialist movement, our challenge is transsexualizing our Marxism. We should think of the project of transition to communism in our time as including the transition to new communist selves, new ways of being and relating to one another. 
This is the great project of the transgender movement, to abolish the distinctions of man and woman, to transcend the limitations established by creation, to hitch the personal struggle of trans individuals to the political struggle of revolution. All of society... To hitch the personal struggles of trans individuals to the political struggles of revolution. And they've been doing that very well. You see it in a whole heap of different ways when these trans people try to say that the civil rights movement is similar to their movement, you know what I mean? And they jump into the Black Lives Matter movement, not that I'm for Black Lives Matter movement because that was co-opted from the very start as well. And it was the instant that it was co-opted, as a matter of fact, that the whole trans agenda seeped into what was Black Lives Matter. To hitch the personal struggle of trans individuals to the political struggle of revolution. All of society must be reorganized to affirm their identities and more importantly, their politics. So there you have it. The transgender movement is nothing but a political movement. These people do not care about the survival of humanity. They're technocrats. They don't care about the well-being of your children. It's up to the parents to care about the well-being of their children. Don't leave it up to the state or the government to raise your children and instill values and morals and ethics in them. Because trust me, if you do, your child or children will most likely end up in the offices of sickos like this guy. So 80% or so of my practice is gender-affirming surgery. Um, so I do facial, chest surgery, and genital surgery. Um, but the majority of my practice and sort of where my passion lies is really genital surgery cases. So I do a lot of vaginoplasty and a lot of phalloplasty. I would just say they're expanding in either direction. <laughs> um, so Why is that yeah, funny? a lot of adolescents um, presenting for surgical intervention, but also a lot of people that are like in their 70s sometimes coming in for genital surgery and then everything in between. Um, but the, the adolescents for sure present some unique challenges. Um, obviously, there's great evidence supporting pubertal suppression for a whole pubertal suppression you know you ever stop to think that the reason why the adolescents might be providing these challenges is because they're growing they're not done growing these are children and let's get it straight this is not gender reaffirming surgery this is gender mutilation this is chemical castration this is stopping the future or hindering the future of the future generations this dude is sick these people in general just tend to be like, I don't know. But the, the adolescents for sure present some unique challenges. Um, obviously, there's great evidence supporting pubertal suppression for a whole variety of benefits. Um, but the one thing that is very new is... What could be beneficial? What, what could be beneficial about suppressing puberty? Like, this is a natural thing that human beings go through. It's a natural thing. Why would you want to suppress that? To make money? Who is genital surgery in someone that has underwent pubertal suppression. Um, not so much an issue in um, someone with assigned female at birth anatomy that undergoes a phalloplasty because we're creating something with a you know, free tissue transfer or a flap anyway. But a much bigger issue... Yeah, let's just pull a flap of skin somewhere and give a girl a penis. This is not natural, especially when it comes to adolescence. 
these children's minds are not fully developed they're in no way shape or form ready to make this kind of decision the parents need to protect these kids ritual that's undergoing a penile and vaginal plasty um because we use all of that tissue to basically create the vulva as well as line the internal vaginal canal and as a specialty um those of us that do a fairly high volume of genital gender affirming surgery you know, we've maybe done a couple, a handful of pubertally suppressed adolescents as a field and no one's published on it yet. So you've done this to many adults, but you've done a handful over the whole spectrum, a handful of pre-pubertal gender transitioning surgeries. So this thing is essentially an experiment. Um, OHSU together as we're kind of learning and figuring out what works um Jesus. but it's really changing things um because you don't have enough tissue to line the vaginal canal so you either have to take a skin graft or take skin from elsewhere or use artificial because products. you're not supposed um, to be doing this dealing with it is by using a robot and we're basically performing intra-abdominal um, components of the surgery so we're using peritoneum, which is the inner lining of the abdomen, to line most of the vaginal canal. And by doing that, that allows us to use all of the remaining tissue externally to create a vulva um, and try to make also an aesthetic result. These people are just mutilating children. They're abusing children. You know, on the No Agenda show, I've heard them refer to therapists as the rapist. And I can 100% see why they would say that. Like, I totally agree with them. A lot of these therapists, and I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of these therapists are, they're mutilating children. They're causing way more damage than they are doing any good, in my opinion. I don't trust them. And this is where we'll end today's episode of the Critical Thought Podcast. I hope you found it insightful. I hope it was entertaining. Uh, we'll catch you next week with episode number three. Yo, when you said critical thought, what did you give? What did you give? What did you critical thought, critical mind. Think to yourself in critical times. M5M trying to watch your mind. And you know they line. Critical thought, critical mind. Think to yourself in critical times. M5M trying to watch your mind. And you know they lie.